everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Big Footy Tiger Cast. I'm your host, Michaels, and we've got a great show coming up today, talking about the Bashahooli suspension, uh, our review of the Carlton game, and of course the preview for the Port Adelaide game coming up. We've got two guests on the show today. So first of all, I'd like to welcome Wackle Pudding, who's been a member of Big Footy since 2014. So welcome. G'day, everyone. And second of all, we've got our uh, our newest mod, who's just slapping bands left, right, and centre. He's been a big footy member since two thousand and nine. Sturge, welcome to you. G'day, fellas. How's it going? Going well, thank you. Um, as always, we start off asking our new guests how they became a Richmond supporter, which was actually one of your ideas, Wackles. So you get to answer your own question straight off the bat. So we'll start with you. How did, how did you become a Richmond supporter? Yeah, probably not the most exciting story. Um, but pretty much just followed my uh, mum into it, who was a tiger back from the Hafey era. Um, I think, though, there was a little bit of competition. I think I might have been six or seven years old, and and uh, I had some really good Collingwood friends, and um, and my dad was also a Carlton supporter. Um, but she had a bit of an ace up her sleeve in so much as one of her really good friends um, happened to um, work with the flea. So back in the early 90s, um, it was actually uh, the case that the players still had part-time jobs. It wasn't completely professional. So um, I got to meet him. Um, he actually gave me one of his match-worn jumpers, which I actually still wear around every now and then. Um, and I actually got to get a photo with the um, tiger skin. So this just completely, you know, imagine your seven-year-old kid getting yeah. this kind of access to the captain of the time, just, yeah, ever since, bled yellow and black. Yeah, I mean, that would just blow your mind being able to get that kind of access to, to someone like the flea. That's huge. Yeah, no, hero then and still hero today. So, yeah, no, absolutely sensational. Very nice. And what about yourself, Sturge? You, you have told us that you do have a funny story behind this one, so looking forward to hearing what how you became a Richmond supporter. Okay, so um, my dad doesn't really follow footy, and my mum is uh, the most fair-weather Collingwood supporter you'll ever meet. So when I was a young fella, you know, there wasn't really a lot of influence on me, so I kind of gravitated towards a friend from primary school who was a Richmond supporter, um, and so I sort of came from there. And then it turned out um, became a died in the wool Richmond supporter. And then years later, uh, my wife asked me why I'm a Richmond supporter because um, my mum's a Collingwood supporter, and uh, mum happened to be there. And I explained the story of the friend from primary school, and mum said, "What are you talking about?" Their, their whole family are Hawthorne supporters. So um, essentially, I'm a Richmond supporter by mistake. I'm sh- sh- a Hawthorne supporter. So. Oh, God. That, that's, well, I mean, I know they've had their recent history, but uh, like you said to me the other day, you wouldn't change it for the world being a Richmond supporter. No, no I wouldn't. It's actually quite interesting. Even the, I think, Starburns had some Collingwood issues as well. So it's just interesting that the guests so far have all had some type of Collingwood influence somewhere down the line, but yet they've still gone to Richmond. So they've seen the the light side, which is good. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll start off with the first segment, Roast and Toast. Um, So this week, each of the guests is responsible for delivering either the roast or the toast. So we'll start off with you, Sturge. You were looking after the roast this week. So who are you going to roast? Uh, I'm going to roast the Adelaide Footy Club. Um, you know, we played them in round six. Both teams were 5-0. and They were raging premiership favourites, and that's probably the last decent game they played. You know, since then, since they beat us, they played, they got smashed by North, um, and, you know, 
Rory Sloan got 18 touches in that game. Tex got seven and one goal. They got smashed by Melbourne. They beat Brisbane, but Brisbane are rubbish. Um, they beat Frio, but, you know, that's not a great win. They lost to Geelong. They beat St Kilda, who are also no good, and then they lost to Hawthorne. So I can't think of another club besides Geelong who rely on one player more than um, – Adelaide do. Like, you look at all those losses, Rory Sloan, Tex Walker have all gone missing. Um, and it's just, you know, there's some real worries there. They've gone from premiership favourites to, you know, back in the pack with about maybe three or four clubs that can all be thereabouts. It definitely seems like a blueprint's been laid out. I watched the Hawthorne game, and it was young Howe, I can't remember his first name, but he was responsible for Sloan. And he, he, he wore him like a glove and maybe could have given away a few free kicks. But Sloan was just ineffective, um, and it really sort of changed the momentum of the game. They just couldn't get going. Uh, I mean, Hawthorne's back line stood up as well, but I think you're spot on there. You're shutting out Sloan and, and even Tex, and it's, it's going to take teams a hell of a long way to winning. And, like, you look at that Geelong game, for example, you know, Geelong rely on Dangerfield as much as Adelaide rely on Sloan. And in that Geelong game, Sloan got 23, Selwood got 35, and Danger got 31. So there's your difference right there. Yeah. Geelong's midfield stood up and Adelaide fell to pieces. And that's all it takes this season, isn't it? Like, it's so close. If you've got one or two players off or they get shut down, you're a decent chance to lose the game. Yeah. So that, that was a, that was a good roast. Uh, and Wackle, what about yourself? You've got the toast this week. Who are you toasting? I'm actually going to toast our captain, uh, Trent Cotchin. Uh, possibly not so much for the game he played on the weekend. We might have a chat about that in a moment. But actually, uh, most of you would have seen the um, article he put out in the Herald Sun over the weekend speaking about his relationship with uh, Dustin Martin. Um, and it's an absolutely brilliantly written article. I'm not sure if he's had any help in terms of having it ghosted or whatever. Um, but even j- just the sentiments are, are absolutely sensational. So if you haven't had a look, I'd encourage you to, uh, to have a read. I think it has been posted in the Dustin Martin thread for um, if you're having paywall issues. Um, but uh, really uh, lovely insight into what football is, I think, in terms of it being a, a, an absolutely great leveller, um, not only for us as fans, where we come together every week and you might stand next to someone with a completely different background and yet you connect with them because you're all believing in this common purpose. It's the same with Trent Cotchin, you know, absolutely straight-laced with the kid from the other side of the tracks and yet they both made each other um, better people. Um, and I'm just going to put it out there that... Um, yeah, um, Trent has been cr- criticised for his leadership and, and it's been suggested the club has been lacking in leadership. But I think looking at this article, he's the leader we've needed the whole time. I think he is. I think the biggest criticism for him was it wasn't translating onto the field. But this year, I think he's recaptured his 2012 form. Uh, he's having a stellar year, and uh, that article was, was it was it was brilliant. And it is posted in that Dustin Martin thread. I think even a few posters said it brought him to tears. Whether they were telling the truth or not, we'll never know. Um, but yeah, just to sort of see or get an insight as to how far Dusty's come uh, is extraordinary. And even there was even a post because it was his birthday yesterday. I think it was. And, you know, everyone would have assumed, like, the, I can't remember who wrote it, uh, but the poster said, you know, you assume he's going to be out with Connors and Swanee and all that kind of stuff. But there he was at Trent's house with his kids um, with a little tart with a candle in it. So he's just really brought him back down to earth, and I think it's helped us out immensely. Yeah, no question. And I would 
I mean, who knows what would have happened if, say, Melbourne had picked up Dusty. But um, I think Trent should be proud of the, and as we all should be, of the player that Dusty has become. And I think he's welcome to claim a good share of that. Yeah, definitely agree. And we're going to touch on the Dusty situation after. But it's moments like that that kind of make you think we have a little bit of an upper hand when it comes to where he's going to play next year. I just don't know if he could find that same kind of connection environment if he had to uproot and leave somewhere else. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. All right, so we'll move on to the review of the game against Carlton. Uh, so we won 11-18-84 to Carlton, 8-10-58, winning by 26 points. So we're now sitting in sixth position on 32 points and only percentage behind Port and Melbourne. Um, it was definitely a must-win game. I did say last week that by losing to Sydney, we did add extra pressure to ourselves for the Carlton game, and thankfully we got over the line. But, geez, it wasn't it wasn't a great game to watch from a an execution standpoint, I guess. Um, a lot of a lot of fumbly players, even when not under pressure. Um, I think Shane Edwards had one of the worst games by hand that I've seen him for a long time. He just missed so many easy targets. Um, but once again, and I will sound like a broken record, but our goal kicking was a massive, massive issue. So during the second quarter. We were we kicked two goals, seven behinds, and we had the ball in our forward half for 70% of that quarter, uh, which just isn't good enough. So, Sturge, I know you watched the game. What did you make of it? Yeah, a lot of what you just said as well. Um, you know, it's really weird this season. You sit there and it's back to how it used to be. You know, you're never, you're never safe as a Richmond supporter. You're always waiting for something to happen, something to stuff up. And even though, you know, we're playing really good football, it's good as I've seen it for a number of years, it's still, you just feel at any moment it could all go pear-shaped. And like you said, with um, missing those goals and you just think, oh, we're going to cost ourselves. And you could, you saw it in the Sydney game, we cost ourselves by bad goal kicking. And in this game, we, you know, we kept them in it. And, you know, Carlton are rubbish and we should have put them away. We should have buried them by like at least the third quarter. But, you know, just all those misses and you just you keep them in it and they get a sniff and they know that we sh- um, we don't do well in close games at the end. So, you know, if we put them away, it's done. But we keep them in it, we keep a sniff and they think, oh, we're a chance here because Richmond are no good at the end. And it's really, really worrying. And that's the frustrating part is, like, I sit there thinking if, if we were doing this against a better team, once again, we would get done. Um, and like you said, we're just kind of lucky that Carlton aren't up to scratch of, like, his, your Sydneys and your Bulldogs and GWS and things like that. Um, our ground level pressure, though, I thought was excellent. Uh, did you notice much of that, Wackle? Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. Our forward pressure was absolutely exemplary throughout the game. Um, and, you know, in the amount of time that we did have the ball up the forward half, um, it's just um, Carlton was so good about getting um, all of their players back. Um, they really did park the bus and they did make it very difficult for us. Um, but at least we'll sort of... Um, for the most part, preventing them from getting out. So it was so ugly to watch, but at, at sort of at least we were able to, um, you know, sort of certainly prevent them from scoring. So as a spectacle, it was absolutely horrendous. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, at least we did. Um, yeah. Yeah, but no, but they always did all right. And I actually found myself getting frustrated at one point because Carlton were just chipping the ball around in the back half of the ground to uncontested players. And then one of the commentators pointed out that they were only really doing that because they had no other avenues to go forward. So at least it was good to see our midfielders and forwards getting back pretty quickly this week after a turnover uh, because playing such a high press that we do, we are kind of prone to getting counterattacked. 
Um, I still think an issue of concern was seeing Caddy taking two centre square bounces. I know it was only two, but I just can't justify having a non-ruckman in the middle of the ground allowing the other team a pretty easy chance at getting a centre clearance because all we're doing is putting our defenders under the pump massively. Yeah, no question. Both times when he took those centre bounces, that ball went straight into the Cullen's uh, Ford 50. Uh, so if we're doing that um, against a quality team, like next week against Ryder, um, you know, we're, we're just going to get slammed. But the other thing is you don't want to, you're not going to want to have to put quality players up in ruck contests. You're just asking for you know an injury or for something to go wrong. Yeah, it is. It's a real catch-22. I know we haven't got much in reserve, but well, I mean, we'll get to the VFL update after. Um, but it's a scary prospect, like you said, having Ryder pretty much give his midfielder silver service. He's good enough as it is. We don't need to give him any other advantages. But we'll, uh, we'll finish off the review. I found a couple of posts in the autopsy thread, which he didn't have to do too much work on this week's third, so that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> unlike some of the losses we've had, it's kept you busy. So mm. these, these two posts for me kind of summed up how I felt the game panned out as a whole. The first one was by JC12, which was, Jack looked like he wasn't satisfied with that, which is good. We let some big chances go, but just happy to get the win. Uh, and that was something that was very noticeable in, in the rooms after the game. And even Alex Rance, I'm not sure if it was exhaustion or if he just really was really disappointed in how we played, but he just wasn't enthused at all singing the song, which I, I like. I actually like seeing the fact that they know they should have done a lot better than what they did. I noticed that as well, you know. Um, as they were coming down the race, you saw blokes were laughing and smiling and, you know, looking happy, as you do after a win. But Alex Rance was front and centre, and he just he looked like like we had lost. He just was yeah. not impressed at all. It makes you wonder what was said behind closed doors, especially from him being a leader of the team, whether he maybe sort of stood up and addressed the group. But he, just, he wasn't happy. And the second post that I noted was from Gastev's Beard, which was overall played pretty well, aside from wayward kicking. Should have put them to the sword by half time. It was vintage Richmond in that it wasn't really over until about the 26 minute mark of the last quarter. Shouldn't have been the case. And that comes back to what you guys were saying before. It really should have been over at three quarter time at best. Um, but to, to leave Carlton in the game, being such a young team with confidence was, was dangerous. And yeah, as we all know, being Richmond people, it really isn't over until the final siren's gone. Uh, we'll move on to some topics to discuss. The first one, and this is probably going to get it brought up multiple times throughout the year, but Dustin Martin and his contract status. Where will he end up? Um, I suppose our initial offer, which was around 800000 I think they reported, was pretty low ball, but Dan Richardson is pretty renowned to do that. But then now we've got people like the Kangaroos coming in over the top with $1.2 to $1.4 million a year. So I'll put it to you, Sturge. Do you think he's going to leave for that kind of money or do you think we have it, you know, have, it, have the ability to keep him? Well, like you said before, um, he's, especially with all the coaching stuff and that, you know, whether that was something that Trent approached Dusty and said, I want to write this article or whether they're trying subtle ways to make him realise how much he loves Richmond, you know, who knows? That's only the club really knows that. But I think as long as we make finals and our offers, you know, a ballpark of some of the other offers, you can't really see why you would leave, you know, um, unless he gets a really big offer from a club that's, you know, um, a good chance of winning a flag. Um, but the good 
the clubs with good chance of winning a flag don't have the money to try and to give offers like that. So, you know, for I can't see him making a sideways move or backwards move to places like North or Essendon for, you know, a couple of extra bucks. You know, if the money's reasonably the same, I think he'll stay. Yeah, I agree. I think we're smart enough not to go two unders, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd be devastated if he went to the Kangaroos. That would just rip me apart because they're not going anywhere. Um, I'd like to think we're a little bit ahead of them in terms of list development. But the the only thing that's got me concerned is Dusty doesn't really have any prospects after football. He's not going to get into commentary. He's not going to get into newspaper writing or coaching or anything like that. So he kind of really does have to cash in in this next contract. And then you hear sort of reports coming out from Hawthorne saying that they could have a war chest of up to $2 million after Sam Mitchell and Jordan Lewis left and the possible retirements of Hodge, Gibson and Burgoyne. I mean, I don't think they'd obviously throw the full $2 million at him, but if they can even offer $1.5, $1.6, they're the kind of team that would do it, and they're pretty stealthy like yeah. that. And they have a you know proven track record. You know they're always thereabouts, and you can't argue with them as much as you hate them. You can't argue with their ability to win flags. So, you know, yeah, it's definitely the crazy offer that that worries me. I think if we're even vaguely in the ballpark, I think he will stay. I think he does value things like loyalty and and the friendships that he has. But you know, if someone's put, um, throwing you know 1.6 million dollars in front of your nose. Um, I'm not sure that we do have the capability to, cut, uh, to match that, or even whether we should. Um, and it's yeah, that that kind of offer that could put that could sort of break all of our hearts. Yeah, and that's the other thing we've got to be wary of. If someone does come in with a big offer of like that 1.6, you were saying, if we happen to match it, what kind of repercussions will that have on the rest of the playing group? Because a lot of those players, no doubt, would have taken some type of pay cut along the line to to draw in some better players. And then if this happens, it really just undoes everything. And, you know, blokes like Dion Prestia get enough from the Richmond supporter base now. Imagine what he's going to get next season if Dusty walks and people are going to be blaming people like him for coming in on a decent contract and they'll say, oh, that cost is Dusty or, you know... Yeah, well, I fear what what will be said if he does leave. But at the same time, you kind of can't blame him. Like, it would be no difference if any of us were offered a massive pay rise from a, the same industry but at a different location. We'd probably all jump at it. But I suppose we've just got that bit more of an emotional connection being being Dusty and being the Richmond Footy Club. The one thing that's kind of, it's kind of hard to get um, to, to possibly get across, although although maybe maybe we are, is that if he was to sort of stay a Richmond player for his career, uh, I think he would be looked after in a way. I'm not talking about silly payments under the table or things like that, but there would be people around the club that would keep an eye out for him and make sure that you know if he did fall upon hard times, you know he would have you know there would be plenty of tiger supporters who would make sure that you know he did have some sort of job. He was being looked after. Um, yeah, getting getting that sort of across perhaps is um, not so easy, you know, particularly under salary cap rules and so forth. Yeah. Uh, the the biggest club that does that exceptionally well for me is Geelong. The the way they set up their plays through property investments. I know they had the contacts with um, with Costa in charge, but that was just um, a masterstroke to be able to not pay their players massive dollars on the salary cap, but still have them financially looked after to the point where they're happy to stay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also helpful, like Dimmer encouraging him to have something outside of football, you know, you know, make fun of Brandon Allison, his watch is all you want, but, you know, that's setting him up for something after football. Um, there's a really interesting book I read. It's based in America, but, you know, the same thing probably applies here. 
that within you know six or seven years of finishing professional sports careers, the vast majority of them, something like eighty percent, are flat broke, regardless of how much they got paid. So that kind of goes back to your point about he needs to look after himself at the end of football because you know that money doesn't last forever, and if you don't have a lot going on, um, you know you become accustomed to a certain lifestyle, and when the money's not coming in but it's still going out, yeah. you can find yourself broke very quickly. Exactly right. Look, I know we could probably talk about Dusty all night and his contract status, but we'll wrap it up with a, a post by Tiger71, who often has inside mail. I know he gets shot down a little bit, but I think he's done pretty well with the, the bits of info he's had in the past. And one of his recent posts was, the CBA is now done, which is great. Dusty not go, is not going anywhere, but I would not be surprised if he is not re-signed till, later, till the later rounds, knowing Carl, or Ralph Carl wants to maximise as much pressure press and exposure as he can so and I think we know what Ralph Carr's like based on the last time we went through this and I think Tiger 71 summed that up pretty well so fingers crossed he is on the money and that Dusty does sign up with us sooner rather than later we'll um, push on now to the big hot topic for us tonight which is the Basher Hawley incident on the weekend uh, and also talk about the MRP and tribunal just as a whole so the incident was obviously assessed as intentional conduct with high impact to the head and referred straight to the tribunal. That outcome's now happened, and he's taken a two-week suspension. Um, a lot of the media are, are really pushing hard for him to get, like, four or five-plus, which was really interesting. Now, what did you think of the incident, Wackle? Um, I, I thought that um, clearly, as per the... Um, as per the rules, it was intentional conduct. Uh, co- contact. He clearly was intending to make contact with Lamb. Um, he obviously didn't mean to get him in the head. Um, and I think uh, we all know his his, um, his character. Um, actually, my first reaction when I saw when I saw the incident was that maybe someone's gotten his ear and actually said something. Obviously, knowing um, Hooley's background, um, clearly that's not the case. But it was just so out of character for him. Um, he's obviously just he's, he's just it was completely reckless, um, and um, uh, and obviously Lamb got the concussion, and it doesn't look like he's going to play this week either. So clearly, um, suspension is fair enough. Uh, I think what what we've seen with the, with the uh, two weeks is that tribunal has recognised the fact that while it was uh, intentional contact as per the rules, um, it was accidental in terms of getting him on the head, uh, and therefore they've tried to sort of find a compromise and and having an intentional um, but a two week suspension. I think is probably about fair overall. Yeah, I think they got it on the money as well with the duration, but it is very much a grey area. Uh, Sturge, what did you make of the incident? Uh, you know, I probably expect him to get maybe four down to three. Um, and I think the fact that they took out the reckless from the grading table kind of made it hard for him. They kind of had to, it wasn't, wasn't unintentional, but it wasn't really, like you said, it wasn't intentional. He meant to hit him, but he didn't mean to hit him in the head. So, um, but I still think, I think two is highway robbery. You walk away with that every day of the week. Um, and, you know, as we've seen tonight, the Carlton board's in full melt mode um, and the Richmond board's in full gloat mode over it. So, um, I think the way that because it got the, the – um, it was class versus intentional, we're all thinking, oh, it's going to be four weeks, maybe four to three. Um, if they had come out from the start and said, oh, it's three down to two, I don't think so many people uh, uh, would have um, – we wouldn't have got the same reaction perhaps out of uh, fans of other clubs. 
And I think, um, like, you look back at Vickery, Vickery lined Bambi up and absolutely delivered him, a, <laughs> delivered him a haymaker and only got four weeks for it. Yeah. So, you know, four was probably too much. Two's probably not enough. Three's would have been probably spot on. I don't think many of us would have argued with three, but, you know, two will take that every day of the week. I'll put, this to, you, I'll put this to you, Wackle. Do you think that if Lamb wasn't concussed and was playing this week, that the suspension would have, not one, not happened, or two, if it did, would have only been one week? Yeah, I think probably if he got him in the head, maybe a week, um, if, if he'd played on. Uh, I, I do understand the importance of that the head's sort of got to be sacrosanct. Any strike to the head, I think that I think that's fair enough that you, that you have a holiday. Yeah, agree. It definitely does have to be protected. Um, and I don't want this next comment to sound like it's about this incident because it's really about the MRP as a whole. But they tend to look at the outcome far too much, more so than the intent. Like you look at the Buddy Franklin one against Menadue last week. I know he got him on the shoulder and he got away with a fine, but his intent was really to knock him into next week. He ran past the ball, had no eyes for it, but because he didn't actually clean him up and injure him, nothing was really done about it. So I, I know it's always been a bit of a sore spot for me that it's always about the outcome. The, the the other example I had written down was Jack Viney a couple of years ago when he went for that hard ball get against Tom Lynch and he won the ball cleanly, got it out and unfortunately Tom Lynch ended up with a broken jaw and the, it went straight to the tribunal and they wanted to suspend Jack Viney for two weeks and then there was a massive uproar in the media because anyone who was watching that could see the ball was clearly in play it was just a 50-50 contest and Tom Lynch got a little bit unlucky but because he had the broken jaw that sort of gave the tribunal grounds to offer a two-week suspension. And I just don't think that's the right way to go about it. Yeah, and I agree. Like we said, like we talked about earlier today, in a way they almost need to look at intent. And like you look at Selwood last week as another one, dropped his elbow in the back of Mitchell's head, but because Mitchell didn't get injured, they go, oh, don't worry about it. You need to look at the intent. Like Selwood meant to hurt him. He dropped his elbow into the back of his head. Um, and then maybe for really bad injuries, you need to add a loading onto that for an injury. Like if you line a bloke up and drop him and you break his jaw, then you need to add a loading onto the penalty because your intent was to hurt him and then you broke his jaw so you get a, a couple of extra weeks as well. Yeah, agree. And speaking of outcome, I think another one that, was based on outcome was Schofield getting two weeks down to one for his elbow and Clayton Oliver who flopped worse than any soccer player you've ever seen in your life um, and then at the same time Luke Parker did the same thing against Essendon to Bagley and was a pretty firm forearm to the chin and Bagley stood his ground and pushed him back um, and you know you can't have people just diving I know Rance dove a little bit last week but that one from Oliver that was just something out of this world and Schofield got off as well. Oh, he's on after, after Bash, and they've downgraded it, so he's free to play. Oh, that's good. That's a good outcome then. But they maybe kind of. of the, um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say maybe more of these need to go to the tribunal. They seem to be getting better decisions, I think. Well, yeah. they kind of tied their hands with Schofield by having Bash go first because you um, give him two weeks, and if they had of um, overturns, you know, he's a. Schofield's appeal, he would have got two weeks as well. And can you imagine, like, Big Footy was bad enough with just Basher Hawley getting two weeks? Can you imagine if they both got the same? Oh, it wouldn't be fair. That would have been... Uh, it would be absurd, yes. Yeah, the, the servers would have exploded. 
The other thing I want to ask you guys is, me and my mates have often talked about the MRP and suspensions, and this is probably only applicable to a small amount of weeks being suspended, but... What, what are your thoughts on if a player is suspended, that they serve that suspension against the team they had the incident against? Because really, um, teams don't benefit from that player missing. It's the team they play the week after. But if Basha was to have to miss the next time we play Carlton or the next two times we play Carlton, they get a direct um, benefit from that outcome. Yeah, that's an interesting way of doing it. I know I've heard people saying this week, especially in that Bashahooli thread, that there should be red cards and that. But, you know, the umpires already want to get their head on TV too much as it is. Can you imagine giving them the power to um to red card blokes as well? You're not only encouraging the Olivers of the world to dive, but you're giving the me, me, me umpires the ability to send people off and get their get their mugs on TV some more. Like, it'd be an absolute nightmare. So saying that if, say, Bashahooli misses the next two Carlton games, it is interesting. But, you know, it's also, say, Bashahooli, you know, goes out, belts a bloke, knowing he's retiring at the end of the season. Not that he would, but just as an example, knows that he's retiring at the end of the season, so he's never going to play Carlton again. So he knows he's never going to have to serve that suspension. Yeah, and that's, that is definitely the counter-argument to it. But I just thought it was an interesting little take on ways it can happen because yeah, I don't agree with the card system. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've played soccer for two years, and I'm not was never ever any good at it. I played just for social reasons. But some of the stuff that happened on the field with people diving and milking free kicks, mm-hmm. it's just you don't want that creeping into the AFL. It would just change the game completely. Yeah, every recent rule change we've had from the AFL has had all, all these unintended consequences, and I'm sure that um, having bringing in cards would be absolutely no different. Exactly right. All right, we'll, uh, we'll move on to the, the VFL update. So Richmond defeated the Northern Blues. We won by 84 points. Uh, that's put us up to eighth on the ladder, and we're one game off fourth spot. So similar to the AFL ladder, the VFL is equally as close. Uh, the Richmond listed goal kickers. We had Bachelor with two, Troll with two, Hunt with two, Miles, Corey Ellis, Marrick, uh, Loston, Jack Graham, Stengel, and Townsend, all with one apiece. So that's a pretty good spread of goal kickers there. And Richmond players listed in the best. We had Miles with 38 disposals and one goal. Townsend, Hunt, Broad, and Bachelor. Miles has been playing extremely well from all reports in the reserves, but just can't get a look in. Do you you think it's time to bring him in, Sturge? Uh, No, I've been reading the the back and forth, if you can call it back and forth, about Miles and Prestia today. But, you know, who who does he replace? I know... He came in a couple of weeks ago and he wasn't, he didn't really set the world on fire, did he? So, you know, I know he's banging the door down, but it's kind of one of those tough ones of where do you, where do you fit him in? It is. So the one I'd um, be tempted to bring him in for is perhaps Edwards. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have him in ahead of Prestia, but uh, um, perhaps Edwards could probably just do with a game in the VFL, just find the footy, find some touch uh, and maybe give miles because, Edwards is an excellent sort of clearance player. We've got the small forward, so we don't need really Edwards to play that role so much at the moment. Maybe just give um, give us a bit more depth in the midfield, particularly against a team like Port. Yeah, that, that could definitely yeah. be the case. I mean, because the other player I had down to come in was Stengel, potentially, but I think your point's right, that we don't really need him as a replacement of Edwards. It would have to be a replacement of one of the other small forwards because we're already too small as it is. 
So it will be interesting to see what changes come out of that game. Um, unfortunately, Stevie Morris hurt his hamstrings out for six weeks. And, you know, despite all the crappy cops on the board, he actually, you know, played a, started to play a couple of good games. Uh, and Ben Lennon was obviously a late withdrawal from our initial squad last week. He's out for two weeks with a hamstring. Uh, and I, I think a lot of us thought he was pretty much in line for a call-up just to give us some more balance for some hide-up forward. So that's a bit disappointing for him. Um, any other changes you think we might need to make this week, Wackle? Yeah, I, I think. Excuse me. I think we really need to um, to give Nank a bit of a chop out. So, although he wasn't sensational, I did catch some of the stream. Um, I'd be tempted to bring Soldo in, um, get, um, take some of the pressure off Nank, stop this situation where we've got um, someone like Caddy or Grig ta- taking rug. Uh, contests. Although uh, Soldo doesn't take too many marks around the ground, he would at least free up uh, Nank to do that, um, allow Nank to spend a little bit of time forward. Um, and also it gives us that um, sort of option to kick uh, out along the line, um, you know, through, particularly late in games where we're struggling to sort of um, hit targets. And um, particularly in the Sydney game where I think uh, we thought we had a lot of turnovers late just because we had no one to kick to. So um I'd bring in Soldo, or, or well, I don't think there's really any other option, uh, but uh, definitely um, another tool. I agree with Soldo. I know the Western Bulldog game he played wasn't up against proper Ruckman, but around the ground, when the ball's kicked in the air, he was crashing packs, he was bringing it to ground, and that's all we kind of need him to do outside of rucking. No one expects him to set the world on fire, but I think it is a bit of a win-win because Nank playing forward kind of helps solve our centre-half forward issues because he can take a grab, um, and he is quite good at ground level and helping out the smaller blokes, so I wouldn't be against seeing that. The, um, the other change, though, is obviously Hawley being out. Sturge, who do you think comes in for Hawley? I didn't see a lot of the VFL, but surely Vlostin would be uh, almost a like for like. Um, I know he's been out for a while, and I, from what I've read, he didn't set the world on fire. But you know, surely you need that kind of running half back to come in to replace Hawley. I'd agree on that one. Uh, he 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 wasn't playing that well, but he did sort of work his way into the game as we went along, and I think potentially could be a, a good matchup for um, for Gray. My only concern is that Hawley is pretty much our main link-up play between the arcs when we counter-attack. So we just need someone to make sure they can step up into that role. I'm not sure if Loston's got the tank or the skill set to pull it off as much as Hawley does. Um, but maybe even that could be a role for short to push up the ground and, and maybe be a bit more of a hit-up inside 50 player. But that's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. We'll um, move on to Fire Away. So we still had some questions left over from last week. Uh, these two are kind of very similar, so we'll just roll them into one. The first one was from Stevie Tigers, which was, who do you feel we should target to help us take the next step as a side? And then Kay's also posed a similar question, um, saying that the, the team's obviously stepped stepped up this year with massive emphasis on defensive pressure and one percenters, especially in the fourth half. Do we think that if this game plan is firing across all four quarters and with our current list, that we can be true contenders? Or are we still missing a few key cogs in the lineup? So what kind of player or players do you think we should target in the off-season to, to help us out, Sturge? Um, no, good questions from Stevi and uh, KZ. <laughs> um, there's not really a there's not really a great centre half forward out there, is there? Like this is something we should have been thinking about 
a couple of seasons ago rather than, you know, it's easy to say in hindsight when you see that, you know, Griff's injured, um, Hampson's injured, you know, Marek's back shot, but uh, not really a perfect um, tall forward to go after, is that there's, you know, a bit part that will maybe help out for a couple of years, like a Reed or even a um, Casbolt. Uh, and, you know, watching Casbot on the weekend, I know he's had his problems with goal kicking before, but if he was playing for Richmond on the weekend, he would have been our best shot at goal. We were that bad. So, um, and in regards to what Kays was saying about, you know, how are we doing, we are we are doing a lot better as a team. Um, it's just the, the frustrating... Uh, the frustrating... Um, skill errors, you know, where they just make bad decisions towards the end of the game. And, you know, a lot you mentioned Stengel in the VFL. You know, we upgraded him and a couple of our younger small forwards are starting to look fairly tired. So, you know, we've upgraded Stengel. Is it time to start almost a rotation policy with the young small forwards? We've got so many of them. Um, I, yeah, I, I definitely like that thought process of rotating the small forwards around just to keep them fresh. I mean, there's a bit of play on the weekend where Butler got the ball like 15 metres out from goal and he just didn't have that spring or urgency in his step to wheel around and kick it and he got caught. So maybe it is time to just start rotating him around, keeps the opposition guessing, keeps pressure on the players for spots so we get better performance. So I think that's a win-win. Yeah, and I think um, in regards to what Kays is saying, you know, we have played some really, really good football this season um, with the small forwards. I think the small forwards, you know, they're double-teaming Jack and they're um, ganging up on him. I think the small forwards, their greatest asset is speed. Um, you know, if we're if they're moving around and constantly making the defenders accountable, it kind of limits that double teaming on Jack as much as possible because they know, you know, we can double team Jack, but these blokes are going to be running around everywhere leading up. And, you know, it's the emphasis also on the, uh, the midfielders as well to make good decisions and find these guys that are moving around and not just be Jack centric and bomb it in on top of his head all the time. Yeah. Which has been yeah. a big issue for us. Uh, and Wackel, I'll put this question to you. If you had to pick, either Sam Reid or Levi Casbolt to come across next year, who would you pick? I'd probably take Casbolt. Um, I suspect he might be a bit cheaper. Uh, and uh, I don't mind uh, so much um, that... Uh, it's, it's kind of strange to say, given the, all the problems we're having with the goal-kicking. Um, but I think we could, we could play him deep play Jack up the ground, so Levi's nice and close to goal, takes the big grabs. Jack is an all-Australian centre-half forward. Uh, and and um, I think Casbolt also being a stronger body um, uh, could also help bring the ball down to the small forwards, and he can also probably ruck a bit more effectively than Reed. And, of course, then there's the, also the concern about um, Reed's um, uh, injuries. So yeah. I definitely would take Casbolt. I know it's not an ideal solution, but there's just no one out there. That's right, and I think we I think we do have to really target one of those two, but then also invest in someone in the draft to take over from Jack when you know he's what twenty seven, twenty eight. So, you know, he's on limited time, and we know that big Fords take longer to develop. So we can't keep holding off not drafting a Ford. Um, otherwise, we're going to be in a real bad position in a few years' time. But uh, I know taking Casvot would be controversial. I know me and my mates have argued about that non-stop over the last few weeks, but uh, we, we need something, and something's going to be better than nothing, I suppose, is the ultimate answer. 
would be a massive upgrade on what we have currently. Correct. Exactly I right. I think we need to take a stopgap centre-half forward for a couple of years and then either take – we have two first-round draft picks, either try and package them up into a really good first-round draft pick and take a really good tall forward or, you know, just take best available at whatever's our pick. Yeah, I agree. I think there has to be the play. We, we can't sit on our hands and do nothing and let this go around again next year because we're going to slaughter Nankervis if we don't, and I don't think we can go forward as a team if we don't have that structural piece of a centre-half forward. Uh, well, we could, we could obviously go on about that for a few hours as well because it's just the most frustrating <laughs> thing to watch at the moment. But we'll, uh, we'll push on to the preview of this week's game against Port Adelaide. Uh, big thanks to Aslegging, I think I said that right, for the weekly review thread, which I must admit, it took me a little while to read and work out what on earth was going on, but once I read it properly, it was hilarious. So credit, credit for that thread, that was very good. It's a, 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 a huge game this week. Um, where So both teams were both on 32 points, and Porter sitting fourth with a better percentage of 135.4%. Uh, and after a 31-point win against Collingwood on the weekends, they're, they're bound to be up and about. The, the thing that's kind of got me concerned is Port's tools are going pretty well at the moment, and they're pretty pivotal to the outcome of this match. Like we mentioned before, Ryder is one of the best rucks in the comp at the moment anyway. Uh, Dixon up forward is always a handful, and Trengove can go forward or back. So we really have our hands full trying to keep them occupied, um, and this is where we desperately need help for, for Nankervis because Ryder's going to just destroy him I think we just have to pray that our midfielders are good enough to break even but the player I do want to talk about specifically is Robbie Gray um, he's in excellent form, he kicked 5 goals against Collingwood uh, and he just looks really dangerous anytime the ball is kicked anywhere near him, so Sturge who would you play on Robbie Gray to try and shut him out? Oh, do you shut him out or do you just make him accountable, give him someone, you know, send send someone to him to make him accountable is probably uh, the way to do it. I think if he's worrying about his opponent getting a touch or kicking goals, then he's, you know, he's le- kind of lessens his in- influence because he's worrying about his man, you know, more so than just breaking a tag or getting away and doing what he wants. Cause you know, we've got, we've got Lambert that can do that you know, hard tag role if we have to, but you know, so, I almost reckon that Lambert might have to be used for Wingard, potentially. He, I mean, he just causes headaches as well. So I, one thing I've noticed recently is Wingard likes to just come off the back of the square at centre bounces and just streams forward. So we've got to keep an eye out for that as well. Uh, Wackle, what's your thoughts on the game this week and what do we have to do to win? Um I think we're definitely in with a chance. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, I had a chat to one of my Port friends today, and they very, were very quick to point out that they haven't beaten the top eight side, so they're a little bit nervous about this game as well. Uh, nonetheless, I think they definitely would start favourites, especially on their home deck. Uh, I think uh, what we need to try and do is, probably, is try and exploit possibly a weakness they have in their defence, which is actually uh, statistically very good. Uh, I think the best in the competition, I think we're second. Uh, it's, well, uh, individually, all the players, I think, have been functioning quite well. It's a bit plodding. It's a little bit slow. Um, I think there's a real opportunity for our small forts uh, to take advantage of that if we can if we can transition the ball well. Um, it's how we scored a lot of the goals against Carlton last week. I think that if, that, if there's a path to victory, uh, that, that, is, uh, that is how I see us winning the game. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I know we just obviously spoke about bring meeting the need for a toll, but what you said spot on is that it could actually be our biggest advantage this week. Um, Sturge, last time we played Port, Ebert done a real number on Dusty, one of the very few players who held him. Do you expect that to happen again? No, I think Dusty this season is a different beast to previous Dusty. You know, he has floated in and out between games, but overall he's been exceptional this season. Um, so, you know, that's another thing to support. Do they send someone to play a hard tag on Dusty or do they, you know, make him accountable again? Um, you know, we if he does get a hard tag, we need, and there's something I've been critical of Richmond in the past for is when, especially when Koch used to get tagged, that no one really stood up to. If someone's tagging one of your best midfielders, you know, your lesser midfielders kind of need to make them, make them earn the tag, you know, make them feel it, get into them, bump them, get just that your guy gets some space, you know. If you can run through and lay a bump or a shepherd and let your guy get some space and get a, tu- get a couple of touches, you know, that's more important for the team than you running around and getting your own ball. We, we have been traditionally very poor in that part of the game, and you're right, it's so important to do. If someone's get, get copping a hard tag, go and fly the flag for them. Um, in terms of matchups, one of the big ones I think that's going to help determine the outside of the game is Asprey on Dixon. I don't think we're going to send Rance to him because we do like to have Rance sitting off and not playing on the best forward so he can come in third man up and do his rebounding stuff. Um, Asprey's had a, a really good year. So, Wackle, do you think he's going to be able to take Dixon all right? I think absolutely. I think that um, Asprey has been the equal of Rance in terms in his stopping ability and taking intercept marks in preventing his opponent from taking them. Uh, and I'm quite more than happy for Asprey to get first crack at him. Uh, and I think he's the kind of player, uh, Dixon, that you can sort of get in his head a bit. So if, if Asprey gets a good start and I have every faith in him that he can, um, he, 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 uh, Dixon can um, fade out of games. Um, but, of course, um, we do have always Rance um, up our sleeve if that doesn't quite work. How nice is it having that kind of ace sitting up your sleeve? Uh, I, I think that Dixon is going to be a threat, but I'm kind of hoping that we can force him up the ground a little bit more so Rance can just sit in the defensive 50 and just chop everything else off. Because um, mm. I think if we can get him out of the way, Rance should be able to nullify Robbie Gray despite who else has manned up on him. So I think that's going to be a key matchup. And the other one from a Port perspective is Rewalt versus Jack. Hunt, if that's how you say his name. Um, I mean, Rewalt just has to get on his bike this week. There's no other way around. He can't stand there and put his hand up and ask for the ball to be kicked on his head. How do you see that matchup playing out, Sturge? Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, uh, he needs to you know, move around. And it also comes down again to our midfielders being smart when they're delivering the ball. And that's been one of the main criticisms this season. They kind of, for Periods will be really smart. We'll look at other targets. We'll, you know, get it into the forward 50 really well. And then we'll just revert back and just start bombing it in and just doing really stupid things. And it just comes straight back out. So, you know, and also comes back to my point before about the rest of the forwards making a defender accountable so that, you know, the other guys can't just zone off and double team, triple team Jack and know that he's never going to get the ball because they need to be worrying about their own guy rather than just running over and getting an intercept mark. 
Exactly right. And we look a million bucks when we lower our eyes and, and move the ball forward methodically. But you're right, we just revert back to our old habits of bombing it in there far too quickly. And we're realistically not a great chance to take that kind of a mark. But I feel like we back ourselves as a bit of a stoppage team in the front half to generate goals that way. But I just don't know if that's a high percentage play when you can be hitting up leading forwards. And yeah, I suppose the criticism I've had of Jack over the years is he'll get on a lead, but he'll often try and take the mark on his chest and then get easily spoiled. Like I'm taking the mark out in front of something you're taught at a very young age, and especially at the elite level, he should be just clunking everything out in front, and he'd be generating so many more shots on goal for himself. So hopefully he can get on his bike and, and get the better of him this week because he's going to be pivotal to, to the outcome of the match. And we'll finish up with... Uh, we'll get a prediction from both of you. Uh, so, Wackle, I'll start with you. What, what's your prediction for the game in terms of margin and who's going to win? Oh, well, my heart very much says uh, we'll get up in a close one, uh, you know, just, just to make up for all the ones we've lost. But I think I just struggle to... I think we're definitely in it, but we've just struggled to get past 10 or 11 goals in most of the recent games. And, and, and over there, against a fairly well-drilled team, I'm just having trouble seeing us getting to sort of the 14, 15 goals we might need to get to win the game. So maybe Port might just have two or three goals um, on us, I think. Fair enough. That's good honesty from you. And what about yourself, Sturge? I agree with Wackle in a way. I think, you know, the one area of our team we don't really have to worry about is the back six. But um, I just think the loss of Hooley and, like you were saying, the rebound out of the back 50 is going to be hard to cover. Um, so I think it's, you know, it is that classic eight-point game and while it would be great for us to get a win, I'm um, not sure that we're going to have the uh, the cattle out there to get the win this week. It, Will be close though. A couple of goals either way. Either way. Well, given it's a, a Richmond Big Footy Tiger cast, one of us should pick Richmond. So I'll be that guy just to <laughs> just to cover all paces. <laughs> well, I think we're up against it a little bit uh, for the reasons we outlined earlier. But uh, we always travel well for some reason. To take away the elimination final. But generally during the season, we're we're not too bad on the road. So I'll say Richmond by 14 points. But if we don't kick straight, we could quite easily lose by 40 or 50 points. That's the kind of game it's going to end up being. Yeah. I like Besides that Adelaide game, we haven't really been blown out in any game that we've lost so far. So, you know, I don't see us losing by 10 goals or whatever. You know, Port aren't Adelaide from round six. You know, they're, they're all right, but they're not, they're not flag favourites. Um, so I don't think we're going to get blown out. In every game but one, we've actually been leading in the last quarter. Yeah. We've just got to learn to hold on to that lead. That's right. <laughs> so, and we should be, Maddie White should be playing against us this week as well. So, he seemed to have a good game last week, providing a bit of dash along with Impy. So, that'll be interesting to see how he goes against his old team. He's been out for a little while, and um, I know there was a few melts on the port board when he was named, but I think he proved a few, few people wrong last week with his game. But hopefully, he has a bit of a shit one against us. <laughs> I didn't even know he was still playing, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's most definitely still around. But uh, that pretty much wraps it up, guys. So thank you, Sturge, and thank you, Wackle Pudding, for coming onto the show today. And just a reminder to everyone that the game is on Saturday night at 10 past 7 Adelaide Oval, and it is live on Fox Sports 3. So thank you again, guys, and until next time, go Tigers. Go Tigers. Thanks for having us.